What a joy it is to worship together. Whatever you bring into this place this morning, as Kim said, whether this is a day of tremendous rejoicing, if it's just a really hard day, I'm thrilled that you're here. We all bring some mixture of joy and pain into this place today. And what a, what a tremendous joy it is to be able to sing together. I love that line. His love, his goodness, his power, his promises. You conquered hell so I could live now. What a song of confidence as we look towards the future. For some of you, that may be your theme song. Some of you may walk in here today and say, I don't buy it. Whatever the case may be, I'm equally glad that you're here. God has great things in store for us today through the power of his word. If you're newer with us, we've been in a series in the book of James, and we've been uh, working under the title, Real Faith for Real People in the Real World. How does your faith actually work in the everyday? That's what we've been focused on. And one of the big ideas of the series has been this idea that it's, it's who you are that drives what you do. It's your identity. It's who you are in Christ. It's who you are at the core that drives what you do. And then we've been trying to build some habits because we believe it's the, it's the, the practices, it's the habits that really... Uh, help us develop that identity of who we are in Christ and then how we can respond in the moment, whether it's in the midst of uh, quarrels, whether it's how we use our language, whether it's how we deal with our anger, all the practical everyday things of life. That's what we're about in this particular series. Question for you today that we're going to address, we've been spending some time on kind of some reflective habits. How do I rewind the film and look inside and and see where I need to grow? This morning, James is going to take us to looking forward, to thinking about our future. So my question to you today is, what is your attitude towards the future? What is your attitude towards the future? And how do you, what is your basis for that particular attitude. Let's dig into the book of James. I'm excited about today, not only for the word, but we've got a baptism to celebrate at the end, which is always uh, super exciting uh, to see. So let me take you to James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its challenge, its encouragement. And Lord, I ask that my words would be clear 
that they would be helpful, and that they would bring you glory and honor. I ask that you would burn off whatever doesn't do those things today. And Holy Spirit, we invite you, we beg of you to be our teacher this morning. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two attitudes about the future. Now, we all have personalities, right? I'm not talking about personality. I'm not talking about if your glass is half full or half empty and all the things that may contribute to that. But what is your fundamental attitude towards the future? James, again, if you're newer with this whole thing, James is the the, the brother of Jesus. James was the skeptic. James didn't buy it until Jesus rose from the dead. James is writing primarily to believers, to followers of Jesus. James is going to get into the nitty-gritty of life and give us some practical counsel. We're going to dig into the gospel and some things around that. James won't say as much directly about that. We'll bring some of that in, but much of that is assumed as we look into this. So two attitudes this morning that we're going to talk about. Two tests to see what your attitude is. And then two habits that we can build moving forward. So it's a two-by-two-by-two morning. Are you ready? Let's go. First of all, the first attitude, life apart from God. An attitude that is life apart from God. James says this in in verse 13, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. How many of you like to plan? And you're in business. And that's kind of a big deal to plan. I'm looking around, I know some, I've got some business owners in the place, people who are in, in those types of roles, James is not saying, don't ever plan. Just whatever comes your way, do it. There, there is, however, an attitude underneath all this that James is going to dig into. There's a particular attitude that I believe James is critiquing. So what is that attitude? It's an attitude that says this. I am pursuing my own plans. I am prioritizing wealth over living in the kingdom and operating according to the principles of the kingdom. James will go on in some later verses and be very pointed in his critique of those who don't pay their wages and aren't fair and and exploit people and all that. But there is an attitude And I would say it in this bottom line right from the beginning. It's an attitude that is prioritizing plans, prioritizing performance over God's presence. When we do that, when we prioritize our pursuits, our plans, we rob ourselves of something. We rob ourselves of the joy and the peace that God promises. So this morning, whatever you bring into here, whatever that is, there is a fundamental attitude towards the future 
that we want to examine. So as we look at this, what is the attitude underneath it all? James is going to continue in verse 14. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. How many of you will attend some graduation open house this May? How many of you will receive, some of you students, you're going to receive open house cards. I've yet to see an open house card that has this verse in it. Why? Do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I'm going to send this to Hallmark, have a mist on the front, and say, congratulations, your life is but a mist. Tomorrow you're going to die. (laughs) I've yet to see that card. Maybe I should get a side hustle with with Hallmark. Maybe the 99-cent cards. What, What do we do instead, though? What's the most popular verse that we tend to put on those types of cards? I've I've heard it, Jeremiah 29, right? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Please, please, please do not misunderstand me. I am not knocking that verse. That's a wonderful verse. Now, we ought to look at it in context and the prophecy of Jeremiah and the exile and all that's going on, but when we rip that verse out and just stick it on the fridge, and then life gets hard, wait a minute, I'm not prospering. Wait a minute, this, this, these plans didn't work out the way I wanted them to. Have you been there? It didn't work out the way I wanted You didn't get the job. You got fired from the job. Your kids messed up big time. And you're still waiting for them to come around. Finances, health, the healing didn't happen, the prospering didn't. How how are you going to respond? How are you going to look at your future when that is the reality? Real faith for real people in the real world has to deal with the hard, real things of life when your plans don't work out. It's really easy when it all works out. Sometimes if all we do is present the Jeremiah 29, we're not preparing for the real world. So what do we do? How do we deal with this? Well, Let's think about what that life apart from God attitude really is. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking simply about what I believe to be true about God. I'm talking about how we live it out. What does my life on the daily really look like as I think about the future? What's the real stuff? How do I really respond. You know, I was thinking back to kind of graduation and thinking about my own life just a little bit way, way back in the day. I'm thinking about a particular time in my life when my identity was so wrapped into my achievement. 
my identity was so tied to my grades, my athletic performance, all the, all the stars of life, all the trophies of life. And then one of my hardest times faith-wise was when those things were no longer there. Because when you're like grown up, those stars and trophies aren't as easy. They're harder to see. They're harder to get to. Sometimes we just replace one series of trophies for another, and we go on and on and on and on. But there's a point where that pursuit of life apart from God in the daily is draining and exhausting and does not give us the life that God promises to us. So if you're a high achiever, maybe you know that. If you're not, maybe you've always pursued that and always felt like you're not enough. The good news that Jesus offers us is that we don't have to live that way. Unfortunately, we live in a culture that tends to prioritize our pursuit of an identity that we create. Let me give you two lighthearted references to illustrate that. I want you to think about how, how we develop an identity. Where does our identity, where does who I am come from? My favorite commercials, progressive. What's the line at the end of the progressive commercials? We can't help you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle with progressive. That's a narrative, that's, a, that's an identity narrative says that I, who I am is going to be defined apart from where I come from. You might say, good night, you're being too deep on this. It's just a funny commercial. Yeah, it is a funny commercial. I'm not saying don't watch them, but there's an identity under that that says what, who you are is something you need to break free from your parents. I know as a, as, as a parent, I remember the, the, the painful time when my first kid no longer wanted me to be with them when they were with their friends. There comes that moment where there's a, there's a breaking free and there's boundaries and that's healthy and all that, but there's, a, there's an ugh to that. Let me give you another example of how our culture looks at identity. I will not sing this song. I'm just going to read you the lyrics. Everybody said... Amen. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. And the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. How many of you know where that comes from? Frozen. Right? Let it go. Now, I'm not ripping Disney. I'm not ripping, please don't understand. What I'm saying is, how do we process what our culture is telling us? I could point to any number of examples that talk about how our identity is something we've got to create and break free from something else to determine. Let me say it again. That's an exhausting way to do 
life. That will wear you out. That will grind you to a pulp. Now, what's the alternative? What's the alternative that Jesus offers? I'm simply going to call it life with God. There's an attitude that is life apart from God, and there is an attitude of life with God. In contrast to James's, hey, what, what is your life? There's this. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, what I don't think James means by this, if I just tack on a nice phrase at the end of my plans, the Lord's will be done. If I just use that as a phrase, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. I love that expression. It's more than that. It's more than just an expression. It's, it's more than words that come out of our mouths that defer to the Lord's will. It is a heart attitude. Now, when we hear the, the term, the Lord's will, that's an exhaustive topic. How do I know what God's will for my life is? Today is not that sermon. I do want to highlight three passages, though, that are helpful as we look at this. The first is from the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The fact that we can approach God as our Father, that means I am his child. He cares for me. He knows me. And he invites us to pray that his will, his agenda, will be the priority in our life. That's a part of it. Let me take you to John 6.40. For my Father's will, always good to hear the words of Jesus when you're asking a question. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. This is a vision when we believe, when we put our faith and trust in Christ. Again, and I, I, I say it all the time, but I, I can pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I can still have doubts. I can still have struggles. But at some point I say, I am no longer dependent upon me. I am no longer my own savior. I am no longer relying on all of my pursuits to give me meaning. I am trusting in Jesus to forgive me for my sins. I repent. I, I turn around and say, I'm no longer pursuing this. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And when I do that, again, I don't have to have it perfect, but I make that turn. Then I become a child of God. And there are promises that come with that. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son, to look to Jesus, to see him clearly, and believe in him shall have eternal life. When does eternal life start for a follower of Jesus? Now, the moment you do that, it's not like, okay, I prayed a prayer, I checked the box, Jesus, I'll see you whenever my time comes. 
If that's your attitude, why would you want to spend eternity with Jesus? Why would you, if you don't want him now, why would you want him forever? Something to consider. But there's a now, we can have eternal life, we can have life with God now, today. Jesus gives us an identity that we don't have to earn, we don't have to achieve. Now, why does this matter? Why is this so fundamental? Well, let me say it this way. If your identity is given to you, creator of the universe, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then you don't have to constantly perform to keep your status as a child of God. As a parent, when my kids messed up one or two times over the years, I never said, you are no longer my child. In fact, I felt my fatherhood more when they were at their lowest times. Your identity is not dependent upon the success of your business ventures, the performance of your kids, your GPA, your degrees, or even the effectiveness of your ministry. You don't have to stand before God as his child on the basis of your resume. You never have to say to Jesus, look at what I've done. Please love and accept me. We're accepted on the basis of what he has done for us. Amen? Now, you can believe in the concept of grace... You can assent to the idea of, you know, we talk about justification by faith and all these things. You can even teach others about grace and still miss out on the peace and joy that can only come from a true attachment to Jesus. Now, because Jesus loves us so much, he's not satisfied with where we are. Let me give you one more short verse. I'll truncate it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. I'll let you read the rest of that on your own. But to be sanctified is to be holy, to be set apart, for your life to look more like Jesus. That's his will. That's what he wants for you. He loves us so much that his desire for us is to become more like his son. Now, two quick tests to determine your attitude. The first I'm going to call it the grocery cart test. The grocery cart test. We were talking about this at staff and an unnamed staff member talked about going to the grocery store. And when you see the cart, you know, like you, you get your groceries and you, you, you put them back and like the, wherever you're supposed to put your grocery cart is like a long way away and maybe it's raining and you just want to leave it out there. And like, okay, do I... Am I going to put the grocery cart back or not? Am I going to do the next right little thing or not? Sometimes we look at our, our following of Jesus and we say, it's just about the big stuff. It's just about the big plans. It's just about the big moments. Yes. And it's about the little, tiny, next right thing to do. The little, tiny stuff. The little acts that you know, God, you know what you need to do. You know what you ought to do. 
and to take that step and actually do it. So the first test, because a lot of times we want to look at the macro level, we want to look at the big picture, but how are you doing with the grocery cart test? Now, I don't just mean the grocery cart test. Work with me here. What are the little right things we ought to be doing that come out of our true identity in Christ? What is that? What is that for you? James 4.17 says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, I'm not inviting you for a massive confession of leaving the grocery cart out. It's representative, though, of the small good things that we don't do. The second is the squeeze test. What happens when you're squeezed? What happens when things don't work out? What is your response at the beginning of James 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So we've got two attitudes. We've got two tests. How do you do with the little good things you know you're called to do? How do you do when the bad things come your way? How do we build, really, our faith muscles to respond to both of those? Let me give you two habits. The first I'm going to call this, imagine the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. How many of you know the book? Some of you do. Judith Vorst, Alexander's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, published in 1972. My beloved mom, Happy Mother's Day, I remember her reading that to me as a child. I was kind of a worrier as a little kid. But what the book does is it paints a picture of the horrible, terrible day. And Alexander says, I think I'll move to Australia. And at the end of the book, he says, you know what? There's horrible, terrible days even in Australia. So what's the test for, or what's the habit for us? Can I imagine the day? Can I imagine the tough things of life? Some of you walk in here today and you say, Jason, I don't have to imagine. I'm in it right now. So I don't, I don't have to imagine it. It's real. It's present. I'm, I'm with you on that. I know what some of y'all are going through. But I, I, I hold that picture of the horrible, terrible, whatever that is, I've got friends who've worked through job losses and job changes, and some of, sometimes they can just be devastated by that. It's like, how do, I, how do I respond to that? Well, I want you to picture that horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day, and put it up against Paul's words in Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do I put those two things together? The reality of the horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day, and the presence of God. God is with you. 
building up that faith muscle is to imagine the worst and see that God is still with you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? If he really rose, then you can trust him with everything. A practical thought exercise is to play those bad days forward and then hold it up to Philippians 4. And go down that tough road. Prepare your kids for that tough road. Have you ever been surprised at how, life, how hard life is sometimes? Those of you who've lived a few years, does it get any easier? The reality and the, and the great thing about the Christian faith is it does not sugarcoat the hard things of life. If you have a version of following Jesus that everything is going to be rosy and perfect and all that, once you put your faith in Christ, you have not read the Bible. Jesus promises hard things and his presence that is greater than any of it. The other habit to practice, simply going to say do the next right thing. 1 Timothy 6.18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So there's the habit of building, of preparing for the hard things, and there's the habit of seeing and taking hold of the good things God has right in front of us to do today. And I'll leave you with this bottom line, and I, I say it in the negative. When we prioritize our plans and performance over God's presence, we rob ourselves of the peace and joy that God promises. The positive of that, though, would be, look, if I prioritize, if I put first God's presence, or as Brother Lawrence said a long time ago, if I practice the presence of God, if I put that, if I make that a priority, then I can step into the peace and the joy that God promises. That's the life I want for everybody in this room. That's the life I want for your, your kids and your grandkids and your neighbors and those who don't know Jesus, who are continuing <laughs> to just pursue a pathway apart from God. Apart from God today and apart from God forever. And as people who follow Jesus and, and, and see that hope and experience that hope, what an opportunity we have to share that hope with a world that needs it. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you thankful. Thankful for your word. Thankful that it's true. We're so thankful that you love us too much to see us stay right where we are. We're thankful for your promises of love and joy and peace. Promises that are available to each one of us today. Would you strengthen our attachment to you and would you weaken our attachment to our own plans our own possessions.
and our own pursuits. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.